0: coming up now on Established in the Faith. You cannot take that which God has condemned and use it in God's ministry. You can't take it, I don't care how good it looks, and bring it into the church and try to grow God's ministry. It won't work. Hello, neighbor, and welcome today to Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce of Friendship, Free Will Baptist Church over in Middlesex, North Carolina, and how so very pleased and happy we are to be with you today. Got a great message lined up for you. Hope you can stay with us for the next 30 minutes. If not, let me encourage you to go over to establishedinthefaith.com. There you can listen to today's message as well as many others that are in podcast form. Well, we're going to go on into the message now, Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me, please, to First Samuel. First Samuel. First Samuel chapter 15 beginning with the first verse. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Move down, if you will, to verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly." And I just want to stop right there and use for a subject this morning. The second testing of King Saul. The second testing of King Saul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for every person you have brought this way. I thank you for every person that is tuning in by radio. Lord, you know the needs of your people. Lord, I am not adequate to supply even the smallest of those needs. Lord, all I have is words today. But Lord, I know with your anointing, with your help, Lord, things can be said, Lord, that will strike a note that will resonate within the heart of your people, Lord, and needs will be met. So this morning, Lord, I lean upon you and your anointing. I ask for your help. Lord, to rightly divide this word of truth and to deliver this which, Lord, you have given unto me for this time. Lord, anoint your people to hear and receive. May we all be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray and everyone said amen and amen. As we've stated several times in this series of messages, Saul was the people's choice. He was not God's choice. Israel at this time, there was no cohesiveness as a nation. And Samuel being the last judge of Israel and the first to stand in the office of the prophet, they looked to Samuel and said, we want a king. We see what all the other nations have and we want to be like them and we want a king. And Samuel was displeased and he went before the Lord and talked to the Lord about This thing, and the Lord said, They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Give them a king. But you warn them that this king is going to take. God wanted Israel to have a king. But it was in the mind of God for David to be the first king of Israel. But the people jumped the gun, so to speak, and they got ahead of God, and it didn't turn out too good. And let me tell you this, God has good things in store for His people. God has good things in store for you, but it's never good when we get ahead of God. What God is going to do, His timing is just as important as what it is He's going to do. But they jumped the gun and had to have a king right now, and Saul was the end result. And God did everything He could to help Saul. The Bible says in the 10th chapter of 1 Samuel that God changed his heart, anointed him, allowed the Holy Spirit to come upon him. To such an extent, he prophesied and word spread that Saul is now among the prophets. God equipped him with all that he would need to lead Israel. Saul had some problems. And you can't fix a problem unless you know you got a problem. That's what a test is for, to show you where your problems is at. And God allowed two tests for Saul to show him where his problem was. And when God shows you where your problem's at, you need to identify the problem and recognize the problem. I was telling somebody this morning when you car begins to lean one side and you're going down the road and it's going bloop bloop, bloop, bloop and you pull off the side of the road and you got a flat tire, don't go grab a gas can and go to the store and get gas. That's not going to fix the flat tire. A lot of times we ignore the problem that God's trying to show us and we, we try to fix it by doing something else instead God sent two tests to Saul to reveal some problems, and it's the same problem that you and I have today. It's the problem that multiplied millions of people have had down through the many centuries, and it can be summed up in two words trust and obey. Trust and obey. In the first test of Saul, Saul was told to gather the children of Israel to Gilgal, wait seven days for Samuel to come and oversee the offering up of the sacrifice. But as Saul saw the Philistines gathering to battle, he couldn't wait any longer. Bring the sacrifice to me, and he offered it up. A thing which he should not have done. Which showed us that he had no confidence, no understanding, no trust in the sacrifice. The sacrifice in the Old Testament typifies Christ and what Christ would do for us at the cross. And just as there was no understanding and no confidence, no trust in the sacrifice in that day. Here we are today, the church today faces the same problem. No understanding, no confidence, no trust in the finished work of Christ. And in the second test of Saul, God said, verse 3, 1 Samuel 15, now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. And We touched on this, well, we dealt with this last week. Remembering Amalek. God said, I remember what Amalek did. Amalek was the grandson of Esau. And we all know the story of Esau and Jacob, how Esau come in hungry and wanted a bowl of stew and was willing to sell his birthright. That which had eternal consequences, he sold it for a temporary bowl of stew to satisfy his flesh. And his descendants was Amalek. The descendants of Amalek, they were the first ones to attack Israel when they were coming out of Egypt. And I want you to get this picture. Israel had experienced the Passover. Kill the lamb. Take the blood and apply it to the doorpost of the houses wherein you stay. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. A type of salvation. They experienced Passover. They experienced the power of God's deliverance as they came to the Red Sea. Moses stretched his rod out over the sea, and that sea parted for Israel to go across on dry ground. That stick was a type of the cross, the delivering power of God. They experienced Rephidim, the desert place, and the water coming out of the rock a type of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, Then came Amalek. When Amalek attacked, they came in from behind and and caught those who were straggling a little bit, those who were weak and feeble among Israel. Amalek represents the world. Amalek represents the flesh. It represents that which you and I will always have a battle with. The world and the flesh. And I just want to take a few minutes here and draw a line of distinction because that line is so mixed up today. We don't, we don't know where that line should be, so let me just spell it out for you. In the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. We know how Cain killed Abel. Because Abel offered up a blood sacrifice and God accepted it. And Cain offered up his rutabagas and his cantaloupes. The fruit of the ground. And God would not accept that. And he told Cain, if you'll go... And bring a lamb and offer it up then you will be accepted as your brother. But Cain would not do that. And he went off and got jealous and killed his brother Abel. And God put a mark on Cain and sent him out from among them. And Cain built the first civilization. He built the first city. Civilization without God. You can read it there in the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis. Let me pull it over here a minute and look at it. A man by the name of Jubal was there in that city. The gifts that God gave him was for music. And he would use that music to comfort men. Without God. And the first song on the page of human history is found in the book of Genesis, Lamech. And in that song, he's talking about how he has two wives. And how he killed a man. How great he is. It's not changed a whole lot from then until now rap music basically the same thing i got a honey over here got a honey over there and shoot a cop the world's music there's power in music let me ask you something most of you are seniors But back in the day, when when she left you, where did you go to for comfort? You turned on the music, and it consoled you and helped you through that time. Before you would go out partying, you would put the 8-track in the car, and you would listen to Led Zeppelin or... Elvis, the list goes on and on. The world's music, why? Because it pumped you up and it got you ready to go out and rebel against God. The world's music, the world's system. Man trying to comfort other men. Because they're trying to create a society without God. John was just telling me this week about how after World War II, the men would come back from the battle and you didn't hear too much about this, this post-traumatic stress disorder. Men during that time period, but today is an epidemic. Our men come back, and they're so traumatized by what they've seen. And what they have gone through is no worse than what the men went through in World War II. Why is it? I'll tell you what it is. And John, you hit on it exactly with what you said. During those days back then in World War II, The military would give a little pocket New Testament to the men who went in the military. But today, not too long ago, one particular Bible organization went in to give Bibles to the military. But they wouldn't allow them to do it because it might offend the Muslims. And they were going overseas to fight the Muslims. And we don't want to do anything to upset them. Let me tell you this, life without God is miserable. But man wants to create a society that's without God. And music and entertainment gets our minds off of our problems and makes us feel better about ourselves. And the world of psychology comes from that world. Man without God. We'll sit down and we'll talk about Your problem, but God is never mentioned. Matter of fact, if you mention God, it makes people feel bad because if there is a God, that means I've got to stand before Him and give an account. I'm going to be held accountable, and that don't make me feel good. See? God spoke the worlds into existence. And when man fell in the garden, the problem was so bad, it was beyond God just speaking something into existence. I said all of that to say this, if God couldn't talk the problems that we have away, how in the round world do you think some man is going to be able to talk your problems away? He's not. Counseling has its place, but it's only counseling that comes from the Word of God. And when we leave the Word of God, we're in trouble. Amalek represents the world, the world system. And we all have to live in this world, and God has given us a physical body, the flesh. It's what we use to relate to the world. And the world reaches out after the child of God. The things that we see. The things that we hear. What we've always been taught in the world. It reaches out after the child of God. And this is where we have our problem at. We're in the world but we're not to be of the world. We're called out. From among the world. And we're separate. And now Israel has come together as a nation. Under Saul. A type of the flesh. And God says. Go in. And utterly destroy. Amalek. Back in Exodus, when Amalek was defeated the first time, it was not because of Israel's military. They had no military. They had no experience. For crying out loud, they had been slaves for 200 years. No experience in warfare. And here they are now being attacked by a nation that had weapons of war. And Moses went up on the mountain, held up his hands before God as an act of surrender, and looked down in the valley below, and as long as Moses' hands were up in the air, Israel... Would begin to win. But Moses hands got heavy. And as his hands would begin to drop. Because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Then Amalek would prevail. Amalek would begin to win. And Aaron and her saw what was going on. And they went over and they got a stone and they set it under Moses. And Moses sat down on the stone and Aaron and Hur raised up Moses' hands. And they steadied his hands. And as long as his hands were up in the air as an act of surrender before God, then Amalek was defeated. Joshua defeated Amalek. Joshua was a type of Christ. Oh, good grace of mercy, I'm trying to tell you something today, and I'm I'm doing it poorly, I'm doing it so badly. God, help me this morning to get you to see it. Joshua was a type of Christ. Our victory is not in our military strategies. Our victory is not in doing this or doing that, but our victory is resting upon the rock. People will tell you that what I'm preaching to you today is just a religious crutch. No, I am not preaching a religious crutch. But I am giving to you this morning a rock, a solid rock that you can sit down on and you can rest on because what Jesus did at Calvary's cross was sufficient to save your soul. We need to rest in the finished work of Christ and surrender to God's salvation plan. And when church members fall, when church members get in trouble, we need to hold up their hands and surrender to God and not kick them while they're down. We need the help of one another That's why you need to come to church so that I can preach the Word of God to you to give you something so it'll it'll give you a little bit more strength to hold up your hands because let me tell you, honey, the battle is going to get hot. It's not easy. Moses' hands were up. Joshua won the battle down below. But God said, you write this for a memorial in the book. It's the first time that God gave the orders for the Word of God to be written. He told Moses to write this down for a memorial. He said, you're going to have trouble, war with Amalek from generation to generation. And now 500 years later God tells Saul to go in and destroy the Amalekites. Utterly destroy them all. Destroy every man, woman, boy, girl, infant, sheep, oxen. Kill it all. You say, well, Brother James, that's a little harsh. I can understand the, the pedophile and the, the homosexual, and I, I, don't, I, I can't understand the little, the little babies. Why? Archaeologists have dug up things over there in the Middle East, and they tell us that when God said, destroy them all, he knew what he was talking about. Because incest was a common practice among men, many of these nations. And the disease was so bad, if God hadn't have done something and stopped it, it was threatening to destroy the entire human race. And God did future generations a great service by having these nations exterminated. Saul goes in 8th verse 1 Samuel chapter 15 he took agag the king of the amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword but Saul and the people spared agag the best of the sheep the oxen the fatlings the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed. This right here. Is what we have issue with. This right here. Is where the problem's at. See we're quick to destroy the vial and the refuse. We're quick to. Identify the cigarettes as being something that we need to get rid of we're quick to lay aside the beer the pornography the foul language the dirty jokes we we'll, we we'll, we we'll, we understand laying aside the vile things but the good things that's what we don't quite understand we understand repenting of the bad, but repenting of the good, we don't understand that. But see, this this is the problem that we all have as a Christian. This this is where the problem is. It's the same problem. That Eve had in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't the evil, corrupt-looking fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was attractive to Eve. It was the good, the best of the fruit on that tree. That which looked good that deceived Eve. And it's the good part of the world that messes us up. And it's not so much... The good, per se, because there's nothing wrong with the good. But when you put your trust and faith in the good. What do I mean by that? Faith in the good. When the church tries to grow the church by sending a survey out into the community, to find out what the people out there want. And then we're going to change things to give the people what they want. And they can be some good things. Bye. When the church says this new generation of music that the young people are listening to out in the world. We're going to take that and we're going to bring it into the church and we're going to build the church. Bye. When our denomination has a preacher's conference and we go and we sit there for five days and they talk about the brain and how it works. And how... I as a preacher should not get loud because it makes people go to sleep. And I'm not supposed to point out anything bad because that will make people feel bad and people will quit coming to church. Don't say anything negative. Don't make people feel bad. 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 Are you getting the picture? It's amazing to me. And the church is blind to it. But I see it and it really, it really gets under my skin when the church can't see how much influence society and the world out here has on the church. And the church just allows things to go on and don't say nothing because we don't want to make nobody mad. Well, it's acceptable today, Brother James. It's all right for people to shack up. It's acceptable today. That ain't what this book says. Well, it's all right for two men to get married. Y'all go ahead and get married. They ain't gonna have a service here at friendship, I can tell you that. And all of God's people said "Bad." The church is to come out from among the world. Our music is not like the world's music. God's music is sanctified and anointed and it is for God. The world's music is man's music for man of man to titillate the flesh. And it has no business in God's house. Secular music has no business in the church. And if you're playing that garbage in your church, you need to leave because you're not going to a church. You're going to a social club. You're going to a nightclub. Get out of that place and get in a church where the Spirit of God is moving. Because let me tell you, when you've got more of that than you do this, you're headed for death. You're headed for trouble. Oh, good grace and mercy, I've run out of time. But let me tell you something today, folks. When we get away from the Word of God, we're headed for trouble. And the church is in trouble today. The same problem that Saul had. It looks good. Oh, we can take that and bring it into the church and... Help build the church. There's only one thing that's going to draw the people. Jesus said it. No man comes unto the Father but by me, and the Spirit of God draws him. It's not with music of a particular beat. It's not showing movies. It's not painting your walls black and making your church look like a movie theater. It has nothing to do with modernization. Has nothing to do with the latest electronic equipment, but it all has to do with the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way the Holy Spirit will work is through him by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, but Saul, again, he's got a religious argument for why he's doing what he's doing. He has a religious argument for why he's disobeying God. We saved all those sheep and those rams to offer up in sacrifice to the Lord. You cannot take that which God has condemned and use it in God's ministry. Oh, let me say it again. What God has condemned and says, destroy it, get rid of it. You can't take it, I don't care how good it looks, and bring it into the church and try to grow God's ministry. It won't work. It has to be done God's way. Disobedience. A lack of trust in the cross, test number one. Test number two, a lack of obedience. Trust and obey. The bane of Christianity. What is it in your life that God's told you to get rid of, but you keep holding on to it because it looks good? The world accepts it as being good. I know I've run out of time. Stop looking at that over there. I'm preaching good now. Don't think just because my dad's on his deathbed that I'm going to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach it harder now than I've ever done it before. Devil, you can bring it on. But when it's all said and done and the smoke clears, I'm still going to be preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God may call him home, but I will see him again one day. Because let me tell you, I ain't going to hell for nobody. And as long as I hold on to the finished work of Christ, I'll make it. And you'll make it too. Saul. Religious argument for why he did what he did. Samuel said this, I'm closing now, I'm starting to close. Don't get too excited yet. Samuel Samuel says, what means this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and this lowing of the oxen? If you've done what God told you to do, then why is this going on? You've not done it. You've not done what God's asked you to do. Half measures won't work. Just halfway doing what God tells you to do won't work. You've got to to follow through and you've got to kill them all. You've got to do all that God tells you to do. And if you reject any part of what God tells you to do, you will be rejected because that's what he said. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, first Samuel fifteen, verse twenty three, the Lord will also reject you. And he said something else prior to that. See, Saul wanted to take all of this good and offer it up to the Lord. The sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel said to obey is better than sacrifice. Let me tell you something this morning. I thank God for 1 John 1 and 9. If we sin, we can confess our sins, and He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I thank God for that, but let me tell you. It's better to not sin to start with, than to have to ask forgiveness but let me tell you, forgiveness is there. But to obey is better than having to go to the sacrifice. Are you hearing me? You see, had man obeyed God in the start, to start with in the book of Genesis, there would be no need for a sacrifice. There would be no need for Christ coming into the world and dying for our sins. To obey is better. In sacrifice, but when we disobey God, when we reject His word, when we refuse to hear what the Spirit of God is saying in our lives, and we go against it, and we keep going against it, and we argue with God, after a while, God will reject us. And you want to know why the denomination is dying, why churches is dying? It's because they've disobeyed God. No trust in the sacrifice. In disobedience to God's word, two tests of King Saul revealed two things it can all be summed up in two words a lack of trust and a lack of obedience.